So the reading this morning is taken from Judges, uh, actually starting at chapter 8, verse 33, and going through to chapter 9, verse 57. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baalberries as their god, and did not remember the Lord their god, who had rescued them from the hands of the enemies on every side. They also failed to show kindness to the family of Gerard Baal, that is Gideon, for all the good things he had done for them. Abimelech of Jerabal went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them, to all his mother's clans, Ask the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have seventy of Jerabal's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all of this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. They gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-bareth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless adventurers who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his seventy brothers, the sons of Jerobel. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerobel, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Jerusalem and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and men are honoured to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my vine which cheers both gods and men to hold sway over the tree? Finally all the trees said to the thornbush, Come. And be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge over my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now if you have acted honourably and in good faith when you made Abimelech king, and if you have been fair to Jerabal and his family, and if you have treated him as he deserves, and to think that my father fought for you, risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family, murdered his seventy sons on a single stone, and made Abimelech, the son of a slave girl, king over citizens of Shechem, because he is your brother. If, then, you have acted honourably and in good faith towards Jerobel and his family today, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But... If you have not, let fire come out of Abimelech to consume you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out of you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem who acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jerobel's seventy sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped murder his brothers. 
In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now Gal, son of Ebed, moved with his brothers to Shechem, and his citizens put confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Then Gal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem, that we should be subject to him? Isn't he Jerobel's son? And isn't Zabal his deputy? Serve the men of Hamah, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech, if only his people were under my command? When I would get rid of him, I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zabal, the governor of the city, heard what Gal of Ebed had said, he was angry. Undercover, he sent messages to Abimelech, saying, Gal, son of Abed, and his brothers have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gal and his men come out against you, do whatever your hands finds to do. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem, in four companies. Now Gal, son of Abed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance to the city gate just as Abimelech and his soldiers came out from their hiding place. When Gal saw them, he said to Zabul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of mountains, Zabul replied. You mistake the shadows of mountains for men. But Gal spoke up again. Look, people are coming down from the centre of the land and a company is coming from the direction of the soothsayer's tree. Then Zabul said to him, where is your big talk now? You who said, Who is Abimelech that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gaal led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him, and many fell wounded in the fight. In the flight. All the way to the entrance to the gate. Abimelech stayed in Aramah, and Zabal drove Gaal and his brothers out of Shechem. The next day the people of Shechem went out into the fields and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance to the gate. Then two companies rushed upon those in the fields and struck them down. All that day Abimelech pressed his attack against the city, a city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the Tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the Temple of al -Barid. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up Mount Zalman. He took an axe, cut off some branches, which he lifted onto his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, quick! Do what you have seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire over the people inside. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Thribez and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city fled. They locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, 
A woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed him. So that his servant ran through and he died, ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God had repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his seventy brothers. God also made the men of Sheshem pay for their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Zerubbabel, came on them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this uh, terrible passage is indeed your word. And we pray, give us the ears to hear and hearts to obey what you would have us hear through this passage. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, if you're hoping for a bit of uh, a feel-good sermon this morning, as you heard that sermon, no doubt, uh, as you heard that reading, no doubt you're disappointed. If you're after a little bit of a pep talk after last night, you're going to be disappointed. There's not a lot of feel-good in here, is there? If these events were made into a film, they would be an R18. Some of you would have to leave the room before we showed it. The story portrays a bloody, brutal, brazen murder of thousands of people. It's a story that is designed to shock us. It should shock us so that we're able to hear the warning that God wants us to hear through it. But the story begins with something that at first sight seems uh, pretty trivial. My my tech skills have failed us. I I thought I'd uh, managed to extend the reading on the screen. But really this story begins at the end of chapter 8. I'm sorry they're not on the screen. But it begins with forgetfulness, with ingratitude. At the end of chapter 8 we see that uh, Gideon, the previous judge, has died. And we read in verse 34 that the people did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies. They're forgetful. uh, They haven't got gratitude. And as a result of that, uh, they prostitute themselves with the Baals, false gods, and they forget Gideon's family, the, the instrument God used to rescue Israel. It's easy to think, well, it's just bad manners. Just, uh, a bit of forgetfulness. But all that happens in this bloody chapter flows out of that verse 34. And because God's people, people like you and me, are prone to forget our God, we need to hear this warning. This chapter starkly portrays, doesn't it, the danger, the folly, the sheer stupidity of forgetting the Lord our God. As we saw at the end of last time, Gideon had many wives and many children. One of his children was born to a concubine from a place called Shechem. And he's called Abimelech, uh, which means my father is king. Well, whether Gideon was a king or not, he certainly wants to be, doesn't he? So Abimelech goes to his uncles uh, on his mother's side in Shechem, and he says, who would be a better ruler over you? Gideon, 70 sons, or one man related to you like me? Well, his uncles go to the other citizens of Shechem. The word there for citizens is a kind of upper crust of Shechem. And they have a conference, and verse 3, they decide that nepotism is the way forward. Abimelech is related to us, so let's make him ruler. So they give him a kilo of silver. Notice uh, where it's from, verse 4, from the temple of Baal. This is a campaign funded with the money of a false god. And Abimelech takes his money, and he hires some thugs 
The NIV is reckless adventurers, doesn't quite get it, does it? They're thugs. And uh, he goes up to Ofra, which is a place about 30 miles north of Shechem. It was the seat of his father's capital. And when he gets there, we read verse 5. On one stone, he murdered his 70 brothers. It's just worth slowing down, isn't it? And taking on the import of those words. As Abimelech and his thugs arrive in town, I wonder if his brothers had any idea what was about to happen. You can imagine the screams and terror as those thugs begin to round up his brothers as they put him, put them in a line, waiting for Abimelech to kill them one by one on that stone. At the end of it, there's blood everywhere. Abimelech himself, no doubt, is drenched in blood and sweat. He's utterly exhausted, having become a mass murderer. All of his brothers are dead, except for one, Jotham, the youngest, who managed to escape. Well, having slaughtered his family, the story just seems to go on, doesn't it? Abimelech goes back down to Shechem. We read in verse 7 that the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at a pillar in Shechem, probably another site of bar worship, to crown Abimelech king. And as we look on, we wonder, don't we, what on earth were they thinking? How is this going to end well, crowning a treacherous mass murderer as king? But just notice why they do this. I think we're told in verse 2, Abimelech goes, doesn't he, with his smooth words to his relatives, and he says, what is better for you? What is better for you? These people do this because they think it will be good for them. A friend of mine pointed out this week that this is a kind of window into how all temptation works. When when temptation comes to us, it comes like the words of Abimelech, doesn't it? It appeals to our desire. It whispers to us, this will be good for you. This will work out better for you. Now, in the cold light of day, we see how foolish that is. These poor people have forgotten the Lord their God who saved them from all their enemies, and somehow it's plausible that this mass murderer could be better than calling upon the Lord. It's madness. And yet, if we could slow down uh, time when when we're tempted to sin, if we could put our hearts under a kind of spiritual microscope, we'd see this pattern, wouldn't we? As anger boils up in our hearts, say, we're tempted, aren't we, to forget that the Lord is kind and patient with us. And sin whispers to us, let them have it. Give them a piece of your mind. They deserve it. It'll make you feel better. Or as we're tempted to do something, to watch something that we know we shouldn't, we forget the Lord, and sin whispers to us, it will be good. It will relax you. You deserve it. And without really realising it, we're taken in, we forget the Lord, and we've turned to something crazy that we thought, in a moment of madness, could be for our good. Well, let's go back to Shechem. The coronation is underway. And I don't know if you've ever been at a, at a kind of ceremony when a nutter stands up and starts shouting something. I haven't actually been at one of those. I'd quite like to be. Sounds quite fun, doesn't it? But this guy's not any old nutter. He's Gideon's son, and he's on this mountain uh, which overlooks the um, Shechem in a kind of natural amphitheatre. And Jotham tells what is a fable or, or a curse. And there's a sense that this is the word of God. Look at verse 7. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. 
There's a sense that how they respond to Jotham's words will determine how God will respond to them. Well, the fable is about some trees who want to appoint a king. And the trees go to first the uh, olive tree, then the fig tree, then the vine. And they say to them, come be our king. They're all kind of good trees, aren't they? They do productive things for society. They bless society. But all of those trees say, no, we can't. So finally, the trees go to the utterly unproductive thornbush. And they say, come be our king. And the thornbush replies, verse 15, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take shade in Come and take refuge in my shade. Now, in the Old Testament, shade is a picture of rest and blessing. Think on a hot summer's day in the Mediterranean. Finding some shade is quite important. But when you think about it, a thorn bush doesn't even have leaves. It's not really the kind of place you'd go for shade. If you're tired and you want to sit down with your can of coke, you don't go looking for a thorn bush. And that's the point. There's an utter sense of folly As the people abandon the Lord their God who's blessed them so much, they turn to anything, even the most inappropriate person. And it's so foolish. And yet so often we do the same. So often we look around and our society does the same, doesn't it? Well, the thornbush continues, verse 15. If you're sincere, come sit under me. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. And then Jotham gives his interpretation in verses 16 to 20. He pronounces a curse. Now, if you've acted honourably and in good faith when you made Abimelech king, and if you've been fair to Jeroboam, Gideon, and my family, which clearly he doesn't think they have, have, but if you have, verse 19, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, And let fire come out from you and consume Abimelech. It's a terrible image, isn't it? Fire coming up and burning the whole forest. And the rest of this chapter is the story of how the fire of God's judgment comes from Abimelech and destroys everyone involved. We've seen, haven't we, the way people will forget the Lord and turn to almost anything, sheltering under the the shade of a thorn bush. Well, now we see how God repays that kind of wickedness. For a time, there's a honeymoon. For three years, it seems that Abimelech's able to get on with it. And then, verse 23, God decides to act. We read, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, who acted treacherously against Abimelech. It could be that this is, for want of a better word, a demon sent to sort of torment relations, or it could be an inanimate spirit, a spirit of animosity, Either way, it doesn't really matter. Do you see, God is doing something. God, who is largely absent in this chapter, is now working in active judgment. And we're told why, verse 24. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, may be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who helped him murder his brothers. Reminds us of an awesome truth, doesn't it? That God will not stand idly by as evil prospers. For three years it looked like he did. It looked like God isn't interested. This mass murderer just carries on. But this reminds us God will not let wickedness go unpunished. The citizens of Shechem in verse 25 begin to ambush other people. Uh, Abimelech's rule is breaking down. And then verse 26, this guy Gaal, son of Ebed, comes to town. 
And we don't have time to look at this in any detail, but he seems to have other relations in, in the city, doesn't he? And it's almost like a kind of gang turf war between him and Abimelech. And we read, verse 26, that Shechem, the people of Shechem, put their confidence in Gaal. Well, then it's harvest time, and they go out and they gather the grapes. They come in and they press it. They have a great party. They get drunk. Notice where they do that, verse 27, in the temple of their god. And who is their god? Baal. And as they feast, Gaal curses Abimelech. Why have him as your leader? I should be the boss. Well, the governor of the city, this guy Zebul, is loyal to Abimelech. He sends messengers to the troops uh, with Abimelech. Send some troops and sort this situation out. And we skip on to verse 36 the next morning. And outside the gate, this guy Gaal is standing there. And he sees in the distance Abimelech's troops coming towards him. And Zebul says, verse 38, where is your fighting talk now? You had a big mouth when you had a belly full of beer. Now show us your fighting talk. Go and show us what you're made of. And so Gaal leads the people out and leads the people of Shechem to their deaths. Abimelech wins. And Gaal and his brothers are chased away. Many people are full wounded. And we see the beginning of the fire of God's judgment coming from Abimelech, the thornbush. Wickedness will be judged. But it's not the end, is it? The next day, the people of Shechem go out into the fields. You imagine farmers going with their tools and their lunchboxes, and they're going to work, hoping that yesterday's events are forgotten. But Abimelech sets up an ambush, and he kills those people in the fields as they work. He presses the attack until the whole city is captured, and then he puts everyone to death. He scatters salt around the city as a sign of its, its barrenness, its sign of curse. More fire. And yet still the fire has not burnt out. Some of the citizens, the leaders of Shechem, heard what was going on and so they ran to the temple of Berith. Notice what they're doing. They're sheltering in the shadow of Baal. Will Baal protect them? Well, Abimelech and his men, they run up the mountain to cut down branches. They pile it against the stronghold. They set fire to it. And a thousand people, men and women, are burnt to death. Horrendous, isn't it? But it's still not over. Abimelech goes to a place called Thebes, and the people there head into their tower. Buoyed by his success, Abimelech goes to storm the tower. And then we read verse 53, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. And I take it it would have killed him, except he was too embarrassed to be killed by a woman, and so he orders his armour-bearer to run him through. And as Abimelech's killed, we read, finally, the fire is burned out. Abimelech's dead, the people return to their homes. And you see God's comment on this. Verse 56, thus, God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the men of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. And you see this stark warning. God will repay wickedness. And there's a certain kind of symmetry and proportionality in this, uh, in this repaying. Abimelech betrayed his brothers. He himself was betrayed. The people of Shechem started ambushing the people around the town. They themselves were ambushed. Abimelech killed his brothers on a stone. He himself was killed by a stone. 
reminds us that though God may seem absent, though as we look around our world, it seems he's indifferent to evil, he will punish it either in this life or the next. And that is a good thing. That means that mass murderers like Abimelech will not get away with it. But it's also a scary thing because all of us by nature are like the people of Shechem, aren't we? We are by nature people inclined to forget and turn away from the Lord our God. And we should hear this as a warning to us. There may be some this morning who have or who are beginning to forsake the Lord and seek shelter under a thorn bush of some kind. Do you know what I think is the greatest tragedy in this chapter? That none of this need have happened. Remember Jotham's words. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And presumably he was hoping they'd hear those words and they'd break off their coronation ceremony and they'd think, what on earth are we doing and walk away and have nothing more to do with Abimelech? And God's judgment would not have been poured out on them. And friends, some of us this morning need to hear this warning. If we forget the Lord and all his blessings, if we take shelter in thorn bushes, however attractive they may seem, the Lord's fire of judgment will consume us. Whether that thorn bush is something respectable, maybe sheltering in in a great career or in, in in a wonderful family life, if we're sheltering in something that is not the Lord, there is fire waiting for us. Maybe it's something shameful that we hate for anyone to know. But these things contain a fire that will destroy us. And we see that all around us, don't we? Those who pursue careers and ruin their families. Those who put an intolerable burden on having the perfect family that it breaks them. Those torn apart by addictions. But even if we do not see that now, even if the thornbush seems to give wonderful shade and we enjoy it, God will not be mocked. Judgment will come in this life or the next. That is the warning of this chapter. And it warns us so that when sin whispers to us, when it woos us with the voice of Abimelech and says, my way is better than the Lord's, we will not believe its promises. And friend, if that's you this morning, whether you are a Christian who's begun to wander, or someone who's never trusted and tasted the goodness of the Lord, this chapter says to you, come back. Listen to the voice of Jotham and come back to Jesus. And if we do, his promise is he will listen to us. He will forgive us and restore us. But friends, do we see as we finish, if the trigger for this incident is forgetting, then the antidote is surely remembering. And whether you're beginning to drift or you're wholeheartedly on fire with love for the Lord Jesus, this is something we need to hear. Because this would say to us, remember the goodness of of the Lord. Count your blessings and give thanks for them. Sometimes said, isn't it, that the thankful heart, the soil of a thankful heart is one in which it is hard for weeds to grow. And how true that is. If the people of Shechem had had thankful hearts and had remembered, chapter 8, verse 31, that the Lord their God had given them rest and rescued them from all their enemies, if they'd remembered he was the one who blessed and guided them, why on earth would they have gone with this charlatan, Abimelech? And in the same way, friends, we need to keep the Lord Jesus before us, remembering that though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, he is the one who loves us and cares for us and seeks our best, remembering that he doesn't come lusting for power 
or control. He doesn't obtain his throne by pouring out the blood of his brothers, but rather, in love, he pours out his own blood for his brothers and sisters. And as in a moment we come to the Lord's table, we have a chance to do that, don't we? To remember and to give thanks. As we take the bread and the wine, the the, the servers will say something like this, uh, take and eat this bread, or this wine, in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Take the bread, it's still just bread, it's still just wine, but take it and remember what it symbolises. The body of Christ, broken for you personally upon the cross. That Christ himself was murdered, like Gideon's sons, that we might be cleansed, that his blood might wash us. Remember that the fire of God's judgment has fallen on Jesus, that it need never fall on those who shelter in his shadow. And don't just look back, but look up and remember he is ruling and guiding us now, that as we come to his table we fellowship with him, and that one day he will return and he will deal with all evil. He will cast away the wickedness and restore the true shade of his blessing to his people. Remember this and be thankful. And as we remember and are thankful, we will not trust in thorn bushes because we'll be so full of joy in him that the words that woo us like Abimelech's will have no hold on our hearts because we know it is not better, but rather God's way is for our best and our good. Let's pray together. Father, this chapter is a terrible chapter of blood and shame, and yet we see how it begins with forgetting. And so, Father, we pray for each one of us that we would never forget your blessings to us, that we would always rejoice, not in the shadow of thorn bushes, but in the shadow of our great King, the Lord Jesus, who pours out his grace upon us, who loves us even to death. Help us as we come into the Lord's Supper to remember that and be thankful. Amen.